Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Mike Malone is a rare Colorado native, having grown up in Denver and attended the University of Colorado, where he earned his bachelor's in finance. He is a partner at the Financial Retirement Group in Westminster, Colorado, where he started helping people plan for the retirement more than 22 years ago. Michael is a dedicated father who works on creating six memorable experiences per year with his son. Today, we're going to talk about uh, his diverse interests, his battle with addiction, how he pays it forward, bucket list items, and what fatherhood is like for him. So please help me in welcoming Mike Malone. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, Luis. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Tell us what it was like growing up in Colorado. There's not too many people who are actually born and raised here. Okay. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's interesting, especially, I guess I would say, in my generation. I think you're coming around more kids now that have been born here recently, but... Uh, I'm 50 years old, born here in 1972. Um, it's a completely different place, especially the Denver metropolitan area now. So I was just talking with somebody the other day about how um, back when I was growing up, I mean, you literally probably said hi to everybody you passed on the street. Uh, that's just kind of the way Denver was. And you could slowly kind of see it change to where now I'm, I'm at a point where when I'm walking down the street, if I get eye contact from somebody, I'll say hi, I'll say hello. Uh, but it's amazing how much Denver's changed and you don't really get that eye contact anymore. But uh, growing up here was fantastic. Um, obviously, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to live. I, I left actually my uh, freshman year in college, went out to San Diego State University. Um, and it really took that to make me realize how beautiful and awesome Colorado was. Um, right. I grew up, want, quite frankly, I grew up wanting to get the heck out of here. Um, I hated the snow, hated, you know wanted to be in Southern California. Once I got out to Southern California, I just realized how amazing Colorado was, came back and went up to the University of Colorado and graduated from there and been here ever since. That's great. So uh, what have you been up to in that time? The last 30 years. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so yeah, so I graduated from CU um, with, as you mentioned, a finance degree. I uh, actually at San Diego state, I was studying international business. Um, I never wanted to get pinned down to doing one certain thing. Uh, so I had chosen international business. And at San Diego State, it was actually a four-year program um, of diverse classes in inter international business. When I transferred back to CU, uh, the way they do it at CU is everybody in the business school gets a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration with an emphasis in something. Um, and the emphasis in international business was literally three classes. So I realized that I wasn't going to get an international focus. So I changed to finance, um, basically because I didn't want to walk out. I, I had no intent in going to corporate America, um, but I didn't want to walk out and be pinned down to being an accountant, as an example, if I did accounting or something like that. So I figured that international business was a little bit too broad, that I was really going to have to pick something within international business eventually. Um, but I realized in finance, I didn't have an intent of going into being a, an advisor at that time. But I realized in finance, like every business out there, no matter what industry you're in, 
you know, uh, deals with finance and needs financial financial guidance and that kind of thing. So, so I decided to go with finance. Graduated actually my um, my senior year in college. Uh, I went out and got my real estate license. I had my salesperson's license in Colorado here for a few years. Uh, worked for a couple of realtors my senior year in college. I was not at a point in my life right at that point where I could do a commission kind of thing. I, I, I was a college student needed to make money. Um, so I got real estate experience for about three years doing uh, calling for sale by owners and soliciting for uh, for realtors. I had a plan to I had a business plan in place once I graduated to go into real estate as an agent. Um, however, my halfway through my senior year, I was getting a degree in finance. I really felt from the probably about a year and a half at that point I had spent in real estate that I wasn't going to be putting my finance to degree to the best use in real estate and wanted to explore uh, the investment arena. So I went out and got my Series 7 license over Christmas break. Um, came back and actually the second part of my um, the second part of my senior year, I was going to school full time. I, I kept my real estate job because I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in investments or not. Um, and then I also was working in an investment office at the same time. So I look back and I'm like, how the heck did I ever do all those things? Um, but but yeah. I did. And, and eventually, I think at 22 years old, the investment world was extremely exciting. Um, what I, what I had experienced in real estate is that once you figured out how to do it, it was kind of a, of a monotonous pro, uh, process at that time, you know, list market, sell list market, sell. Once you kind of got that down, that's what it was. Um, I, uh, I, I was intrigued by investments because every day you walked into the office, you had no, no idea. I had to catch my language there for a minute. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, you know what to expect. You could have a news item come out. You could have something happen. It, it was really exciting and really kind of enthralling. But um, about so I was getting once I graduated, I was getting up about four o'clock in the morning. I would work out. I'd be in the office about six thirty. And now I was working in investments full time. I had left real estate. Um, I'd cold call from about six thirty in the morning to about eight thirty at night for probably two or three years to build my investment business. Um, at about the age of 24, I ended up in the hospital. Um, I have I have something called Hirschsprung's disease, which is a, a, a disease in your intestines that I'd had surgery for uh, as a baby. I had about 20 different surgeries uh, when I was a baby. And so the stress that I was putting myself through, I mean, I, I've learned this over the years now, but the stress that I was putting myself through during those two or three years um, And I'm a spiritual, I have a relationship with with God. And I really feel like God picked me up by the back of my shirt and said, hey, Mike, you're going to go sit in the hospital for a few days and kind of think about how you're doing things. Um, I went into the hospital um, being a go, 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 get everything done, probably very A-type personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I sat in there for three or four days uh, and I came out realizing that, you know, all these things weren't all that important. Um, I realized that I was going to wake up at 40 years old and not know how to live life because all I had been doing was working 14 hours a day. Um, so that was a big, that was a big change for me. Um, and you were I 24 continue- at the time. 24. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yep. I, I mean, 24. it sounds, I hate to say it's great that it happened, but I mean, to so many of us, it takes so much longer to, to, to come to that realization. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's life lessons. And I think, you know, being 50 now, you look back and you realize that, you know, you, you try to learn from those life lessons, right? Absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, I came out and I probably had swung way to the other end of the pendulum. I used to be a get things done right away kind of person. And now quite frankly, for probably the next six months or so, things that really absolutely should have been taken care of were not taken care of. Hmm. Um, so I really swung to the other end of the pendulum and eventually kind of came back to the middle. But yeah, and so, at this time, sorry to interrupt, Mike, but you were working for like an investment firm at this time or, or what? Yeah, what, I was. Okay. I was. So I, when I was in school in Boulder, um, I was with a small firm up there on Pearl Street for a little while. And then I had moved down to a firm in downtown Denver. Um, and at that time, yes, I was at that firm. Um, I eventually, so I eventually left that firm. I would say primarily in my early days of working in investments with my Series 7 license, I was really kind of your old style stockbroker. I mean, you were you were selling stocks. We were we were pretty good at the research we did. We were researching what we called the computer network industry. So this would have been the mid to late 90s. Um, we called it the computer network industry. And eventually the rest of the world became to call it the Internet. <laughs> so we were investing in companies like Cisco, Cisco Systems, Ascend Communications, Bay Networks. Um, and quite frankly, we were doing 80 plus percent return per year in the stock portfolios that we were building out for our clients at the time. Awesome. Um, so. However, so um, I got to the point where I was like, okay, Mike, you're good at analyzing this, um, this high tech industry, but you know, are you going to sit on the sidelines and keep analyzing it or do you want to get in? Um, so I ended up leaving the investment industry in 1999 uh, and I started a company called Worldwide Web Hosting. Um, and Worldwide Web Hosting was something that nobody knew what the heck that was at the time was website hosting. I mean, literally to the point when we went out and told people about what we did, people back then thought you pay for a website, website goes up, I'm on the internet. Um, you had to go out and explain to people that, well, no, the analogy that we used was your website is kind of your business plan. But once your business plan is done, you have to have an office space or a retail space or somewhere like that to actually do business. So you had to have a server on the internet to have your website hosted on. So it's kind of interesting how basic, you know, things were back then. Yeah, um, we uh, y- our profit margin back then, you know, we were hosting websites for two hundred dollars a month, two fifty, three hundred dollars a month. Uh, the expense on them was probably ten to fifty dollars a month. There was a huge profit mm. margin at that mm. time. But um, I had that company for about three or four years. Uh, the big boys started again to get into, into website hosting, meaning like the AT&T's of the world. And nowadays, here we are, what, 20 some yes. years later. And website hosting is just kind of, I mean, you're lucky if you're paying for it at all, let alone eight or nine bucks a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, the profit margin started to really come down. I kind of saw that coming. I eventually got out of that business because of that um, and went back into investments. And so since basically 2001, 2002, uh, I've been back in investments doing uh, uh, being a, as a financial advisor, getting into retirement planning. And that's really kind of the niche that we've um, brought our, our firm down to. I've been doing that uh, since. So you started the firm you're at now, right? Right after the, the website hosting company then? Yeah, I actually, I had two partners that I work with that I joined. When I left the investment industry in 1999, I, I moved my clients over to my two current partners. Got it. Um, so what I did is when I came back into the investment industry, I joined them as a partner. Um, and then we eventually started uh, the financial retirement group in the early 2000s. So now, you know, you, you went through this, you know, pendulum, as you called it, where you were, you know, your 
prototypical Wall Street boiler room guy working 15 hours a day, giving yourself uh, health issues. Then you said you swung to the other side where you just weren't getting anything done. I mean, did you did you kind of find middle ground or did you lean one way or the other going forward? Or, or how did you work through that and make sure you didn't go back to the hospital? Well, I definitely found middle ground. I think as I shared, I kind of came back to the middle of that pendulum. But um, I think the one thing that I realized is that, you know, maybe a blessing kind of to Luis's point earlier, you know, a blessing of being in the hospital was learning about my body, learning about the physical aspects of my body and really learning. Um, it was stress that threw me into the hospital when I was 24. Right. I was just it was stress. And so I learned how to pay attention to my body. I learned how to pay attention to stress in my life. Um, and I also learned that I couldn't allow myself to stress about things that I shouldn't be stressing about. I mean, there are things in life you need to stress about, but there's a lot of things in life that, that I personally can't stress about um, yeah. because that does lead to the stress physically in my body. And for me, that does put me back in the hospital. And I have been back in the hospital twice since then, oh. um, you know, at different times. So, you know, you learn. You start noticing like, oh, I can I can physically feel that stress. And it's like, oh, I got to stop. Like, I got to stop worrying about this. It's not, you know, one thing, Adam, I would share is that it's not always a good thing because probably even relationally, there's times when things should probably be taken more seriously that I just realize that I can't, um, that I can't allow that stress. I, I have to kind of let things go um, when other people might you know, have a legitimate reason to be stressed about something. Yeah. Well, that's at least good. You can recognize it now. That's, I mean, so what you'd the, say for sure the reason you ended up back in the hospital was due to stress, both those, those following times as well. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And this yep. is while you're working as a financial advisor in the, in the current firm you work for? Uh, uh, yes, it was. Yeah. One, yeah. one was, um, one was, let's see, about five years ago. And the other one was probably about 10 to 15 years prior to that. So it's, let's say age third, mid thirties. And then also, like I said, about five years ago. Hmm. What are those, those, now that you're experienced at recognizing stress and, and managing it, I, I'm curious as to like, what are the triggers that you see that, you know, when you're getting to that point where it's, hmm. it could be hospitalized? Well, for me, it's a, for me, it's more of a physical trigger, Luis. Um, it, it really is like paying attention to my physical body. I, I've noticed in the past, um, I, and from folks that I've visited with over the years, I think people tend to have a place where they seem to hold their stress. A lot of people talk about their shoulders or their yeah. back or their yeah. chest, maybe, or whatever. Um, I think for me, I've realized that, that you know, my, my stress starts in my shoulders. So if I, if I do notice that, then I realize at that point, hey, you got to let this go, right? Yeah. But once that starts, then it can get down. And for me, it really does get into my gut where, where it can cause some issues. So I guess my, my shoulders are kind of my precursor, my pre-warning. Um, and that's really where I kind of try to pay attention to like, hey, this is, and then, you know, it's not a matter of really like just completely blowing something off. It's a matter of saying, why are you stressing about this? And is it something you really need to be stressing about? How important is this? I guess it's probably where I've grown into over the last you know 20 years or so. Yeah. And are you able to kind of take that, you know, let's call it a different approach where you just say, okay, well, I still need to do this, but how do I do this with a reduced level of stress? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, Absolutely. It's like, okay, this needs to be taken care of, but let's let it go. Let's, you know, let's not let that build up. Let's just go take care of it. 
And is there anything tangible that you implement to do that? Like you have breathing techniques or, yeah. or something you think about, or is, is there anything, or do you just kind of try to try to shut I it don't down have, somehow? Yeah. I don't have a breathing technique or anything like that. One thing that just came to my mind as you asked that Adam is um, probably since my late teens, I've done uh, some Tony Robbins exercises in the morning uh, with, uh, I could, I think he calls them. I know I've always called them the five empowering questions. Um, which I think kind of get me focused on uh, the right areas of life. What, what am I the most happy about in my life right now? What am I the most uh, grateful for in my life right now? What am I the most proud about in my life right now? Uh, what am I the most committed to in my life right now? What am I the most excited about in my life right now? So I think those things and, and probably just implementing them over the years has helped me to kind of, you know, stay focused on, on those things. I think like Tony Robbins says, you have to admit there's, you can't look at your garden and say there's no weeds. Because if mm -hmm. you say there's no weeds, no weeds, no weeds, the weeds are going to take over your garden, right? Um, but at the same time, you can't just focus on the weeds that are in your garden either. Absolutely. So it sounds like you, your methodology, or at least one of them is maybe to just take an audit and and just remind yourself how grateful for you you are for the things you do have and and not to focus on the negative stuff and try to pull yourself out of that stress state. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, you know, as I think about it now, um, when I first did some of the Tony Robbins stuff back then, uh, you know, it was kind of like people talking about they wanted to get advanced in business and how is this Tony Robbins coaching thing going to help me in business and all that. But, you know, looking back, I would say when you get up every morning and I really probably have every morning for the last 32 years gotten up and asked myself those questions, um, it's probably directed my life more than I ever even realized. I know that's not really to the stress question, but, um, but it does kind of, you know, take you to what's important and what's worth focusing on and not just focusing on the weeds, which could be the stress. Right. Right. Well, you know, one of the ones you mentioned in there was just basically what, what are you grateful for? And, and a lot of studies have shown that starting your day with gratitude just puts you in that positive mindset. I'm sure that will reduce Absolutely. stress quite a bit. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think one yeah, thing that, that I've learned from those. Day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've learned from those questions that I learned from that process with Tony Robbins is that um, your mind will find an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a computer. If you input the question, your mind will find an answer. So I used to tell people, I'm like, you know what, if I won the lottery today and I won $1.5 billion and I financially having the best day of my life and like life changing event. And I asked my brain, why am I not happy? my brain would go find an answer. My brain would come back and say, well, you know, I've got this little hangnail on my pinky finger here and it's really bothering me. So my brain's going to find whatever, whatever question I ask it, it's going to find. So why not ask yourself the empowering questions and let it go find, what am I grateful about? You know what? Sometimes my grateful answer is I'm happy. The sun's up. Yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah. The sun's sure lately. Well, no, I mean, even just over the years, it might be, hey, there's not something huge going on in my life. There's not something huge to be grateful for right now. But you know what? My answer this morning is I'm grateful the sun's up and it's, it's a nice sunny morning. So you never know. It'll find an answer. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, just not getting lost in the weeds, like you called it. Focus on the flowers, I suppose. Well, I was going to say, like I said, you have to pay attention to the weeds too. But yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to yeah. be, it doesn't have to consume you. So... so I think this is an interesting time to fast forward a little bit. And so you have a, a child now, you have a son, Bodie, and I'm wondering, you know, with these techniques, practicing gratitude, 
do you bring that into your um, life as a father? As far as my interaction with him or as far as my actions as a father? Both. Well, I absolutely bring it into my interactions as a father with him. I mean, because it is part of who I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like as an example, I have, and I, I can't remember these words for words, but I have a, a thing on my bathroom mirror, uh, that when he is here with me, it's, you know, um, you know, look into the mirror, look into your eyes. Can you see it? Can you feel it? You know, is today going to be a great day? Yeah, it's going to be a great day. Um, you know, what's your name? Bodie, Michael Malone. What's, you know, um, what are you grateful for? You know, just things like that, that really just to kind of, and I try to make it a game with him. I try to make it a, you know, let's have fun. Let's make it energetic. Let's, let's make it, a, you know, a thing that he enjoys doing. Um, I think there's something on there. It says, you know, nobody is better than me. No, no, it says I am better than no one. No one is better than me. Um, and it just kind of goes through, you know, just wanted to kind of instill those things into the pride. And, you know, and, and it, I think one of the other things is, you know, I am handsome. I am strong. I am smart. And just those things to try to, I mean, he's four years old, but we're just kind of, you know, having fun and, you know, yeah. trying to instill some of those things in him as he, as he's developing his personality. So I guess in a way, um, as far as like taking the five empowering questions and starting the morning in a good way. You know, I try to do that with him. We don't do that every morning because he's four and it's not fun every morning <laughs> for him. Um, the other thing that I would share along those lines, Adam, um, I was reading a book called uh, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Hmm. And in there it talks about mantras. And, and one of the mantras in there is, I am more than I appear to be. All the world's strength and power rests inside of me. So the reason why I share that is that um, when I'm driving Bodhi in the car, I'll sit there and I'll say that to him 30 times. Your name, your, your name is Bodhi Michael Malone, and you are more than you appear to be. And I'll, I'll go through that. Uh, when I'm putting him to bed at night, you know, we'll read and he's going to bed and I'll lay there as he's falling asleep. And I'll say that to him 30 times as he's falling asleep. Um, so I do try to kind of take that and kind of, you know, and even it's interesting because sometimes, and he, he doesn't like it all the time, but sometimes, you know, I'll be there and I'm like, I'll point at his chest and I'm like, I'm like, what's in there? What's in your chest? And, you know, he'll, and he'll, flex, he'll flex, he's like, yeah, yeah, and he'll flex his muscles, you know, kind of like that. And so I, I think he kind of gets it. And I think it's kind of getting into his subconscious, so to speak. Um, and I just want to create that, um, that uh, personal strength, I guess, that personal confidence you know, of, of, of who he is. Yeah. Do you see that um, guiding some of his actions and interactions with other kids, other people, other adults? Does he seem confident or is it, is it kind of too hard to tell at this point? Well, no, I would say, unfortunately, it's probably a little bit of the, diff of the opposite right now. Um, you know, he's, he's what we call a COVID kid and he grew up, you know, in the, in the two years of some very powerful development stage for a child he was isolated. I mean, he's got two older sisters, but as far as social interaction and social development, I mean, once, once they got to go into preschool, he's now in pre-kindergarten, you know, he's, he's, a, he is a little bit shy. He does hold back a little bit. He does, you mm -hmm. know, um, so he's also growing a lot. I mean, having kids, you guys know that, uh, they change so much and he's growing up and, and I think I'm starting to see it more so Adam. But that's part of the reason I do it is I want to make sure that, you know, hey, you, you, you can go across there and play with those guys. You can go ask and 
I, I, I think I shared with you guys off, off of the podcast that, you know, my slogan for this year is, are you brave enough? Um, and not only do I want to have that as my slogan for this year and going forward in my life, I want to instill that in him too. Um, so I'm starting to kind of work on that. You know, if he's, if he's standing on a big rock and he wants to jump off of it, Hey, you brave enough, you brave enough to jump off that rock, you know, jump off the rock. And then hopefully yeah. that leads to eventually, Hey, you brave enough to walk across that school dance and ask the girl to dance. Are you brave enough? Go do it. I think that's great. So what brought that on for you? Why is that your mantra for the year? I think as a challenge, as a challenge to grow, as a challenge to, you know, one of the, one of the sayings that, that I hear a lot is some of the best things in life are right on the other side of fear. Um, so I guess in a way, I don't know that fear has held me back in the, in the past, but I'm sure there are places in my life where it has. And so I basically am kind of looking at things and saying, okay, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have that go have that conversation. You don't want to ask that question. You don't want to um, see what happens if you jump off this cliff. But are you brave enough? Are you brave enough to go there? Are you brave enough to have that growth? Are you brave enough to be assertive in the situations that you need to be assertive? Um, those kinds of things. Um, and really, for me, and, and and maybe we'll we'll chat about this a little bit later if you guys would like, but. Really, for me, where that also comes from is, are you brave enough for me personally to chase the wild goose? Um, and the wild goose, I'm reading a book called The Wild Goose Chase. I've actually read it a few times over the last few years. And it's basically about chase. It's a Christian book, and it's basically about chasing the, the wild goose, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the ancient Celtic Christians had a nickname for the Holy Spirit, which was the wild goose. So really, my, my big picture is, are you brave enough? to chase the wild goose. Um, and that, that means, you know, where, where is he going to take you in, in your life? Um, it's probably going to be a roller coaster ride. Are you going to, are you going to, you know, be guided to leave your business? Are you going to be guided to go on this trip? Are you going to, I mean, wh where is it going to take you? Um, so that's my big overall thing, but I'm also applying it in the minor areas too. Like, Hey, are you big? Are, are you brave enough to try this dive into the pool? Are you brave enough to, you know, jump your bike off this hill, you know, so I'm, I'm bringing it down to the minutia too, but for an overall thing for me personally, my spirituality, am I brave enough to chase the Holy spirit? Is that goose leading you anywhere at the moment? Is there anything you're currently chasing? Um, nothing big at the moment. I think the one thing I've actually been working on a novel for probably the last 10 to 15 years. And, um, the thing I keep hearing and I'm like, okay, the thing I keep hearing is, yes, you're supposed to write that. You're supposed to finish that. Um, and to the extent I, I, I do some, one of my journaling that I do in the morning is with, is with God. And I ask a question and I try to listen kind of in a meditation type of thing for, you know, what he has to share with me. I did ask him, I said, you know, am I supposed to leave my business and go write this, uh, write this novel? Um, cause I really do feel that it, that's probably the true talent that God has given me is writing. Um, it's ironic cause I don't read a lot of books, so I don't know where the writing comes from, <laughs> but, um, but God said back to me, he said, no, you know, be smart about this. I mean, that's the answer I got back. Like, don't walk away from your job just to go write this book. But, um, I think so as an example, Adam would be, so if I felt that God was sharing with me or the Holy spirit was sharing with me, yes, leave your job, take your buyout and go write this book. Am I brave enough? 
I mean, that'd be the example right there. Am I brave enough? If I felt that was what I was being guided to do, I don't feel that yet. Um, but if that were to come, would I be brave enough? You know, Mike, you, you mentioned uh, in, in other conversations I've had with you as well, you, you bring up fatherhood a lot. Uh, it's clearly something very important. But you also mentioned, you know, you're 50 years old. Your son's around a pre-K age. So, so clearly you, had, you became a father later in life than most uh what's that been like how do you think that's affected you as a father well it's interesting because i mean i you know up until 45 years old um and say after my teens i guess i mean i've done a lot of traveling um i take a week off every month from my business um i've done a lot of traveling over the years i've been blessed with that it was a big part of who i was um so there's been some adjustment when all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're 45 years old and you're used to kind of, I was married for a while. I was married for about seven years in that time. Um, but outside of that, kind of being a single guy and kind of going out and traveling in the world and doing what you want to do. So I think that, you know, in a way, my life has kind of been flip-flopped from, you know, the way that most people go out and live their lives and get married in their twenties and have kids and do all that. I think that, um, being a mature father, I think definitely has its benefits. I think that, um, you know, looking back at myself in my twenties, say had I had Bodie in my twenties, I was still getting to know myself. Uh, I've learned a ton about myself in the last 30 years. And so I think that I, as far as being an older father, I think I'm able to bring that to the table. I do, as an example, I do, uh, and there's not many other people that I've talked to that, that, that do this. I do a monthly um, therapy session with a child development uh, therapist. Um, has nothing to do with me. Has nothing to do with issues that Bodie has. He's four years old. It has to do with me learning how to be the best father I can be. It has to be has to do with um, you know, boy, Bodie did this. How should I have handled that? Or did I handle it right? Or did I handle it wrong? How can I handle it better? Um, how to develop my relationship with him, how to, I mean, we're developing relationship now for things that he's probably going to deal with in his teen years. Yeah. Um, and tools, you know, getting guidance from that. So would I have done that? Would I have gone to a child development therapist and seen them once a month in my twenties? No, Yeah. no, I wouldn't have. Um, I think one of my things, Luis, is that um, I think right now I've always tried to physically take care of myself. I've tried to eat healthy. I've tried to be active. And right now it's like, hey, you got to continue that. You got to continue that because, you know, Bodie's four years old. He'll be five this summer. Um, I'm 50. So when he's in his mid-teens, I'm going to be close to 60. Hmm. So, yes, I want to continue to be physically active. I want to be continue to be physically in shape. So I think being an older father, I think I benefit from my wisdom, so to speak, and my experience over the last 50 years. But I also have to recognize that it might be more the physical challenge going down the road than than anything. Where like when you're 22, you can keep up with your kid. When you're 30, you can keep up with your kid. Um, so I want to make sure that as I get into my mid to late 50s and into my 60s, I'm still able to get out there and do the things that he's doing. And, you know, as you guys know, with young kids, it's like I just see more and more and more energy in him every day. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're going to have a lot of energy to keep up with. So, so make sure you're ready to do it. Yeah. Do you have any tips or hacks around that or anything specifically you're doing to keep your health in line? Well, I, um, my personally, you know, I do Tabata workouts. I, uh, I started working, I've been doing those for quite a while, but I, 
one of the things I changed in the last couple of years is, and I, I get up every morning. So I do, I do something called Miracle Morning. And part of Miracle Morning is a, is a 20 minute workout. Um, mine's typically more half an hour or so, but, um, at any rate, so I do my Tabata exercises for that, but I had a personal trainer, a remote personal trainer a couple of years ago out of Indiana. And she's, I was working out in my basement. She said, you know what? I want you to go up into the garage, pull the cars out of the garage, put the garage door up. And I want you to work out in the garage. And I'll tell you what, working out in the garage, whether it's 55 degrees out and the sun's coming up and it's nice, or it's. 18 16 15 degrees out and i'm out there bundled up working out i mean it's a it's a it's a discipline i think it's a discipline it's a habit it's it's getting out there and doing that um and i have i mean i think like everybody i've talked to over the years my workout routine ebbs and flows life comes and goes and you know you, you try to do the best you can um but yeah i mean i think that uh you know trying to stay physically active in that way um, I had a, there's a, a supplement company. I take some supplements from the chief science officer talked about once is that doesn't matter what you eat. doesn't matter what you supplements you may take. None of that's going to do anything for you if you don't get up off the couch. Right. So you got to get up off the couch. Um, and one of the things that um, I learned from him as well is a couple times a day, two to three times a day, I, you know, I'm in a sedentary job. I sit in a, in a, in a chair a lot in front of a computer or with clients or whatever. So I get down and I do a set of push-ups, you know, every two, three hours. And one of the things that uh, that chief science officer had shared with me was you're basically tricking your DNA at a cellular level that you're an active body. So your body acts as if it's an active body instead of you sitting there sed sedentary all day long. So That's I think the, the, the yeah. one thing and the one thing I learned about the Tabata exercises is that apparently, and I think this is from the same gentleman, actually, that when you do the Tabata exercise in the way that it works, it actually turns on your metabolism for the next 24 hours. Hmm. So, you know, in doing that workout that way, hopefully my metabolism is, you know, doing its job. And then the next, within the next 24 hours, I'm out there doing it again. Can you Thinking explain the Tabata exercises for people that don't know what that is? Sure. Yeah. Tabata exercise is just a quick kind of intense. I mean, really it's, it, it, I do multiple, but it, the Tabata exercise itself is typically a four minute exercise. Um, it's two separate exercises that you alternate. Let's just make it easy. Jumping jacks and push-ups, or something. So you do jumping jacks for 20 seconds. You take a 10 second break. That's 30 seconds. Uh, you do push-ups for 20 seconds and take a 10 second break. That's 30 seconds. That's a total of one minute. And you repeat that for four minutes. One of the things I like too, and it may be, this might be really nice to share as well is I remember that same gentleman that introduced me to the Tabata exercise said, you know what? I can't get up in the morning and look at that guy in the mirror and tell him I don't have four minutes. Mm. So, you know, it, 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 sometimes it can be intense depending on what type of exercise you're doing, how intense you're going about doing it. And sometimes it can be a really hard, tough four minutes. But to look at that guy in the mirror in the morning and say that you don't have four minutes, how do you tell that guy you don't have four minutes? Right. And how do you now, tell like your said, future self when you're 60 and your kid's, you know, 20? Mm -hmm. Now you can't tell your future self that you don't have four minutes now. Could have spend more quality time with your child in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I do multiple, I do uh, four sets of that. So it takes me about 20 minutes, but you know, there's mornings when um, there's mornings when I don't want to go out there. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, Mike, maybe you're not going to do all four today, but look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you don't have four minutes to at least go out and do one. And then usually that gets me out there. And guess what? I end up doing four. <laughs> 
Absolutely. You, know, you get going Just get and it started, right? Yeah. So sometimes that 20 minutes, if I'm in a rush or something, or maybe I got up a little late or something, you know, that 20 minutes, like, I don't know if I got that 20 minutes, but it's like, okay, you do the four minutes. So at least you do something. You know, really quick before we jump into the rapid fire questions, one other thing I find fascinating is you do something, uh, we've all heard the term paying it forward, but you kind of do it in a unique and, and consistent way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's unique, Luis, but, um, and I've actually kind of drifted from it a little bit recently, but, but looking at getting back more into it, I, um, you know, when I started making a, a better income, I, I kind of sat down with myself with, with, with my God. And I said, you know, what do you want me to do to give back? And I kept driving by the, the people on the corners with their signs saying, you know, please help. But I've always struggled with that because I'm like, well, I've heard stories about people making 30, 40, 50 grand a, a year standing on the corner. And I've seen people where, you know, one time I saw a lady standing there asking for money and I watched his car pill pull up and I'm kind of like, OK, what's going on here? The, the person in the car hands out a, a bag of lunch, hands out a bottle of water. I'm like, OK, that's nice. They're getting him some food. She leans in, gives him a kiss and he drives off. I'm like, holy crap, that was her husband in their car dropping off lunch. And so she's not as bad off as she's trying to make herself look. Yeah. So I've always struggled because if I knew that person on the corner needed help, I would give them money. Sure. But the problem is for me is that the people who don't really need the money are, are, are ruining it for those that probably do. Right. So at any rate, I, I got to this point in my life and I, I spent about six months just asking God, like, you know, do you really want me to give to these people on the corner? I'm trying to watch for what it is you want me to do. And um, I ended up, I, I was on Facebook at the time, and all of a sudden there was a pay it forward day. And I had seen the movie Pay It Forward with Kevin Spacey years ago, and so I kind of understood the concept a little bit. But this was Pay It Forward Day, and all of a sudden it just kind of came and, you know, communicating with God. And I was like, no, this is what I want you to do is to, to, to pay it forward. And I think that, um, you know, we all have to play our different roles. We all have to have our different way of giving. I mean, that's the way society works, right? Um, and so I kind of felt like, OK, this is this is maybe my role. So I had at that time, probably for 10 or 15 years, I would uh, I had a Facebook page. I would I would post these things anonymously. Obviously, the Starbucks is an easy thing to buy somebody a coffee. What I try to do, Luis, is and this goes back to a Tony Robbins thing as well for me. I try to um, if I'm doing a coffee at Starbucks, I try to do it when I'm inside. And when I'm getting ready to leave, maybe I've had my Starbucks and I'm getting ready to walk out. And there's a person standing at the cash register ordering their coffee and getting ready to pay. I'll walk up and I'll kind of tap that person lightly on the shoulder and I'll say, excuse me. And I'll turn to the cashier and maybe I'll have a $5 or $10 bill in my hand, whatever it might be. And I'll just set it down. And I'll say, will you do me a favor and, and put this towards their drink today? And my reason for doing that is I'm trying to create a situation in which the person is going, what the F is going on here? Like, why is this person tapping me on the shoulder? I'm, I, I, this is my turn, buddy. You know, don't, don't interrupt me. This is my turn. I'm ordering my coffee. And then, wait, wait a minute. What is he doing? He's paying for my drink? And the whole kind of concept for me behind that a little bit is Tony Robbins talks about when you're in a shocked state, when you're in a state of what the heck is going on here, is when your brain tends to be the most open to ideas. Huh. So I kind of hope that the person that maybe I'm buying that coffee for is like, what the heck is going on? And then when I walk away, I mean, I, I put the money down, I turn around and I walk away. I don't stop and talk. I don't stop. And my name is Mike. I don't stop. This is trying to be as anonymous as I can be. It's not about me. 
It's about creating that situation and, and creating hopefully a ripple effect in which hopefully that person, you know, walks out and goes, wow, that was really, what could I do? And I actually had a, I don't have them right now, but I used to have a card, kind of a business size business card that talked about pay it forward. And on the back, it gave five different thoughts, you know, buy somebody a coffee, mm. uh, hold a door for somebody, buy somebody's groceries, give them your car. You know, it would kind of build up, like just say hi, just hold a door open, whatever it might be, yeah. or give them your house. I don't know what, whatever you're, you're going to do. Um, I'll take that 83 Mustang anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, that was kind of the concept. And, um, and then I, you know, I, I carried it forward to, there's been times where I've done that at Whole Foods and, and paid for people's groceries. Um, I've done it at um, Discount Tire where I've paid for people's new tires, Costco TVs, you know, things like that. Uh, the unfortunate thing is quite frankly, and this is kind of just society, probably the bigger things I've done have probably caused more effect. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody goes, you know, somebody just bought my tires for me. Like what? I mean, it tends to get somebody's more attention. Yeah. Um, the Starbucks thing, coffee thing is somewhat common, but yeah, I think it's about creating a, a, a ripple effect. I, my, uh, my ex-wife struggled with it a little bit cause she was more of a soup kitchen, go down, give your time, you know, spread, yeah. you know, give that way. And she's like, I don't, she says, you know, how do you know the person in, in line at Starbucks needs you to buy him a coffee? Right. I said, it's not. And, and she said, they probably don't need you to, they're there to buy one anyways. Right. And I said, it's not about, it's not about that. I said, it's about what if. That's a millionaire standing in line there, and I happen to buy him a $5 coffee. That's like a nickel to him, right? But what if the scenario that I just described, where it's a shocking, like, social, like, what are you doing, buddy? This is my turn to buy my coffee. And, and he kind of goes down that path, and he walks out of there going, wow, what can I do? Maybe he's the guy that writes the $50,000 check to the soup kitchen downtown. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for me, it's like, yeah, we need people to do those other things. But for me, the pay it forward was and I think, you know, it's interesting too. it. It just kind of flashed back uh, you too that um, I was doing that back during the recession. I did it before that, but during the Great Recession, I don't know if you guys remember, but people became kind of tight with their money, okay. kind of a little bit selfish, kind of like, wow, I really got to take care of myself here. Like, I don't know what's going on and the world's kind of in shambles and um so I had been doing it before that, and I continued to do it through that. But looking back at that time, I realized that, you know, maybe I was, and again, I'm not, they didn't know me. I tried to be as anonymous as I could, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. But I kind of thought during that time, like, maybe it was also a sign to people like, hey, you know what? There are still some good people in the world. There is still some good stuff going on in the world. Um, it wasn't about Mike Malone. It was just about maybe some some of those people wow, that was really cool. That guy did a nice thing and bought me a coffee. Yeah. You know? That's so great. for me, it's about, it really is a ripple effect. And uh, the image that I have on my my vision board for myself, I'd like to build out the pay it forward as a kind of a nonprofit and maybe do a, a GoFundMe kind of thing for people who believe in that kind of thing. Um, but the image that I have on my vision board is a drop of water or a drop, yeah, a drop of water dropping into uh, a pond and that ripple effect from that going out. I'll share, I'll share something with you that I just remembered. So I was sitting at a, I was sitting at an Easter event. I was married at the time. So 15 years ago, and we had a couple sitting with us and they were asking me like, why I do this pay it forward stuff. Right. And I was kind of explaining the same thing and I'm sitting there and I can't remember what it was, but, but I was like, you know what? I'll never know. I will never know 
if I bought that person a coffee, where it went. I will never know if I bought that person their groceries, what came from that. And I'm sitting there at this Easter event, and this feeling came over me, and it was very powerful. It said, I will show you one day. Hmm. Oh, that's powerful. And all of a sudden, I pictured myself sitting in, in heaven, you know, in an eternity, and saying, okay, we're going to go through each one of these. Remember when you bought this person this coffee on September 13th at 5, 5 p.m.? Let's watch where that went. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen or not. I have no idea, obviously. But that was just right. a feeling that came over me that day. And it was very powerful. It's like, wow. That is powerful. So that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. That's awesome yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the sake of your time here, I think we should dive into the rapid fire questions. So to get it okay. started, um, what is one hack that you use in your daily life? One hack that I use in my daily life. Let's see. I guess the hack, you know, when I think of hacks, sometimes I think about tools that you can use in your business and things like that. So, but I think, you know, on a personal hack, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, I would say Miracle Morning is, is a hack that I use that, that I would share. Um, and for those that aren't familiar with Miracle Morning, it's basically an hour. You know, you, you owe it to yourself. Get up earlier. Make that hour. It's, uh, it's uh, they have the acronym uh, SAVERS. So it's sitting in silence for five or 10 minutes. It's um, affirmations for probably about five minutes, reading affirmations every morning, um, a vision, vision board, you know, taking time, sitting down, um, uh, looking at your vision board. Uh, e is for exercise, as I was talking about earlier. R is for reading. Now, one thing I'd share with you guys, I'm not a reader. Um, and I started Miracle Morning and I finished probably five or six books in about five or six months. And guess what? That's more books than I probably read in my life. Oh. So literally sitting down and doing the Miracle Morning for 20 minutes, I was starting to finish books. Yeah. Um, and then the last is for scribing or journaling. Um, and uh, so you can do that. I do my journaling with, with, with my, my God, and that's what I do there. But yeah, that'd be a hack I would share that, you know, if you're not familiar with it, check out. You can Google Miracle Morning. And I think there's even a four or five minute video on, on Amazon you can watch. It's a, kind of a yeah. movie. Yeah. It's based on a book by Hal Elrod. So if anybody wants to check it out, get the book. Yeah. Yep. Definitely change your life. So, yep. uh, Mike, what's a favorite you have? You know, a favorite book, <coughs> movie, podcast, you know, uh, anything you want to share? Yeah. Um, I would, I guess I'll share two favorite books real quick. One that comes to my mind that I've shared earlier as a, as a Christian is the book that I'm kind of going back through reading right now, which is The Wild Goose Chase. All right. So for, for any of those out there that, you know, may have the similar beliefs to myself, or maybe even just want to, you know, learn about what the chasing a wild goose is about, it, it, that's a good favorite book of mine right now. And the other book, I, and I can't think of the author right now, but uh, it's a book called Raising Men. Um, and so from a father's standpoint, um, it's written by an ex-Navy SEAL. And he kind of applies, you know, what he learned as a Navy SEAL to being a father. Um, and it's a really powerful book. So those of you that, you know, uh, have it, for me, you know, it was it is specifically targeted towards raising boys. Um, but it was really interesting. And I'm also, you know, I'm in a co-parenting situation with my son's mother. Um, and one of the things that uh, that I took from that book was he was also in a co-parenting situation, went on to be married again and that kind of thing. But just the importance of that co-parenting, you know, to the to the men that we're raising as well. Now, if you could tell your 25 year old self one thing, 
what would that be? Hmm. I think that I think that I would tell my 25 year old self to appreciate the simple, easy people that come into your life. I think, and in, in, in I'm thinking right now about maybe more relationships. You know, it's, it's nice to push yourself. It's nice to grow. It's nice to have somebody there to challenge you. But, you know, sometimes there's people in your life that are just there to be there and be simple and be with you. Um, and maybe to appreciate that more and enjoy that. It's pretty profound, actually. Thank you. So, Mike, what is uh, one thing that you think keeps people from being happy? I think for me, Luis, it goes back to the hospital. It goes back to stress. And I think that, you know, I think that for myself, and I think maybe as society, we tend to stress about a lot of things. Um, you know, some people call it adulting, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that, you know, if we can learn, and, and I'm still learning, for sure. But if we can learn how to, you know, maybe enjoy the, the, the things in life and not stress about the things that we don't need to and allow ourselves to be grateful for those things that we do have around us. Um, I'm always trying to grow. I'm always trying to improve my life and things like that. But I probably need to do a better job, too, of saying, hey, let's look around and really appreciate where I am and, and let some of that stress continue to go and be happy about what's around you. But I think that, you know, to answer your question, I, I guess you know, having that on your mind all the time maybe takes away from some of the happiness you could be experiencing at that time. Very good. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough, man. You, it's been great to have you on here. Thank you. You've, you're, you shared a lot of wisdom. It's been very profound. I think I'll be thinking about some of the things you shared here today for the rest of my day and, and, and days thereafter. I mean, you're an exemplary father and, uh, and, and have a lot of good worldly advice that we can uh, all apply in our daily lives. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Luis. Thanks for having me. Sure. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of yeah. fun. So if people want to connect with you or find out more about your business, all right. Um, how can they get a hold of you? Well, if they want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Michael Malone, retirement specialist. So if you search Michael Malone, retirement specialist, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, business website is uh, the financial retirementgroup.com um so the refine the financial retirement group.com um i'm on facebook you can search for mike malone on facebook but i'm really not that active on there um so those would probably be the two best ways okay great anything else you'd like to share before we cut out i don't think so i really appreciate the time i'm glad you guys are doing this podcast i think it's fantastic and uh you know, really looking forward to the people that you touch. And I, I think it's going to be fantastic. So thanks for doing that. Yeah. No, thanks Thank for being you. part of it. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.